As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Rabona podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Kwonga and I'm joined by Ryan Hun. Michael De Silva is indisposed, but we'll be hearing from him later. And we're here to discuss Manchester United's defeat to Paris Saint Germain in the UEFA Champions League. How well, are you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm surprisingly good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's gonna, it was going to come at some point. Well, I think I've said this maybe before, but the absence of Neymar and Cavani from the PSG team mm. actually made PSG more efficient. So you had everyone in a clearly defined role who didn't mess about with the ball, who was supremely efficient. You've got Dani Alves wide, Di Maria, who was superb. Drax was a 10, didn't mess about. Marquinhos, Verratti, very solid. I think Verratti had like 94% pass completion. Yeah, he was great. And Mbappe, who really, to me, is, was always really a true nine. Started as a winger, but is now a true nine for PSG. And they just looked like a really well-balanced team. Mm. Do you remember when we um, covered the draw? Right. And at the time... Mourinho was still in charge at United. Yeah. And at the time, I actually said that I would fancy United against PSG. I think that Mourinho wouldn't have um, had any qualms with really, really spoiling that game. And actually, I, I think that under Solskjaer, he's, uh, you know, kind of freed United a little bit to play. And that actually played more into PSG's hands. Absolutely agree. So uh, I think even though United, it's, it's very easy to say this in hindsight after the game, but I think Thomas Tucker would have would have rather played a, an Oli Gunnar Solskjaer Man United side as opposed to a Jose Munoz side because I think they would have gone a little bit more toe-to-toe. And you kind of saw that actually the first half. It felt very much like a dropping that massive cliche, but it felt like a little bit like a boxing game. People, they were finding each other out, little kind of jabs. The real blow was obviously at halftime losing Lingard and Martial, which just took. You can argue that so Solskjaer blinked. Actually, you can argue that he blinked by bringing on Alexis Sanchez and not bringing on Lukaku. By bringing on Sanchez, he was hoping to do like for like Sanchez as a false nine, as he played mm. for Barca actually, and press really high up and link the play. Unfortunately, that player no longer exists in Sanchez. He's no longer a link player. Yeah, I mean, what do you? Can I ask yeah. you as a United fan? Yeah. What, how are your feelings towards Sanchez? And I'm not trying to like get you to kind of 
slang him off here, but I mean, it's been a year now since he signed, just over a year. And you, you and me have obviously spoke about him a number of times before he went to United. You know, what kind of player is he now? I really? think he's physically spent you at think? that level. Yeah, I think he is. I mean, people say, oh, it's not fair to say that. But look at what he's been putting in. At this point, it's no question of desire. He really wants to make it work. I think he's a proud player. He showed that, you know, in his entire career. And who wouldn't want to perform to the highest level against PSG? But it's just not, the gas is not in him anymore. It's not there. He's never been the greatest combination player, actually. Not really. He loses the ball far too much for that. But he's lost, I think, the explosive part of his game, which made him dominant, dangerous. Mm. And now that he has to play this slightly more sedate role, he doesn't have the explosive pressing he doesn't have the the confidence from distance he doesn't have the confidence one-on-one ability to step away from man after he's beat him on the dribble so it's just really a um it's painful because it's happening in plain sight but it's nothing we didn't see happen to Shevchenko to Torres to Rooney to Schweinsteiger these are players who've been playing flat out mm. since their teens and it catches up with you and I think that's what's happened here yeah I mean he was quite ineffective when he came on Sanchez and um, to be fair though his pass stats weren't too I mean he only attempted 16 passes completed 14 got the stats up on stats zone and they were very sideways and and exactly when he tried to penetrate he couldn't Mm. but there was that amazing stat as well was you know no key passes no dribbles no take-ons you know as infuriating a player as he can be in terms of how much he turns the ball over you know he he can be decisive and I've not seen that player at United well, it's just, I just have some sympathy to the extent that I have, any, I have sympathy with any professional athlete who is trying to extend themselves and it's just not in them anymore. Look, I was, a, I was never anything more than an amateur footballer, right? But the day that I knew I was done playing a level like amateur football, we're playing against a team called Prenzlauer, uh, Prenzlauerberg Teufel, the Prenzlauerberg Devils, I think it was. And I dispossessed the centre-back and round the keeper. This was a promotion game. So if we won this game, we'd go through automatically as one of the promotion top two spots or into a playoff. It was 3-2 up with five minutes to go. I win the ball for centre-back. I'm going to go around the keeper. I knock it round him. I didn't have the pace to outpace the centre-back and put it into an empty net. Oh, man. And that's when I knew I was done. And I was literally, it was like I was running uphill. I suddenly lost this acceleration I'd had my entire, you know, football-playing life. And I look at someone like Sanchez trying to explode into that space beyond the full-back. And it's not there. It's not in him anymore. And you have to sympathise with that. Yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, I'd never had the pace to lose. So I was, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd have to... So, First yards in your head, Musa. Some listeners will be like, fake news, Musa, you were never quick. I'm sure there's some <laughs> listeners out there. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so first defeat for Solskjaer. Yep. Nothing major, though. I thought his interview after the game was really quite impressive, actually, because he just said, he was very calm, and he just said, "This is the, you know, we haven't played against a team of this level for a while, and you no. could tell. And I think you could tell, actually. There were maybe, could have been a bit braver in the first half, where they had, I think, probably shaded the first half man united i think for me they had a i agree but maybe yeah maybe a little bit you know a little bit with the handbrake on psg are the best team united have played since solskjaer took charge yeah for sure the best team and let's not forget that psg at their peak in the champions league i mean they just swatted liverpool aside swatted them aside before anyone realized quite how good liverpool were PSG dismissed them, the way they beat them in the part of france yeah i mean a lot of people completely dismissed psg after the liverpool game at anfield Forgetting that they were without Verratti and very early in Thomas Tuchel's kind of tenure there. And Verratti is such a key player for them in midfield. And they've had a lot of rejigging to do in midfield this season. You know, there was a few things about them being not even really a football club anymore, which I thought was a little bit kind of harsh. The thing that is different about them this season is how flexible they are. And that's Tuchel. Like, Thomas Tuchel is... Different level. I mean, you know my feelings about Thomas Tuchel. Like, I'm a bit of a fanboy. 
uh, he is just seemed there was a great piece that you linked me to Simon Cooper's piece for ESPN right uh, this week which is well worth a read actually go and search it out and it's Gives you a little bit of insight into how deeply intense he can be as a coach and how his standards are extremely high. Considering he's not really won a huge amount, but how I found the thing I found really, really interesting was the comparison with Emery in there about how Neymar's managed, for example. So Neymar's out injured. He will text Neymar before games and stuff like that or training sessions and be like, you know, we miss you. You know, I hope you're good. Understanding full well that Neymar really needs that or wants that from yeah. a, from a manager. In the same way that when he was at Mines, he found a player was really highly motivated by win bonuses and money. And he was like, that's fine. We play into that. We win, you get your money kind of thing. I found that really interesting. Not the most interesting piece in the, in the article, though, which was the but fact that, that he fascinating. Yeah, yeah. managed to spend three weeks in Italy and not touch pizza or pasta. Monstrous. That makes me not trust him a little bit, if I'm honest. It kind of does. But also, I'm a bit judgmental. I'm sorry. I maybe kind of trust I, that's just because I, I can't, I can't be in Italy for 24 hours and not go near pizza and pasta. 24 minutes in my case. Once I was in Italy and there was a connecting train, <laughs> trying and to we take had, it through security. <laughs> no, it's worse. We had a connecting train. I was in Perugia. We had a connecting train, and there was less than an hour, and I still went to the ice cream parlor. And it was like it was a bit of a walk between the stations. It wasn't like ones that you had to like walk yeah, down the road. Anyone who knows you knows what you... on this podcast you've got a sweet tooth. That's listen, what I'm saying. well, I feel very Should attacked. We move on. <laughs> All right, so Paul Pogba got sent off. Oh no, yeah, um, probably justifiably. I think. Do you know I felt so bad about that because I just thought to myself he'd actually been quite good. I, do you know what the thing? I mean, I think he deserved to go, but the thing that's going to annoy me about that is that it's it will now become about Pogba and big it's, games. It's a lot of people. Become, it's a lot of people's like, aha, see, I told you kind of thing, which is just not fair. Whereas he actually really pushed the game forward in many ways, I thought. Yeah, I thought but, it was yeah, really good. I thought that, go, I yeah, thought yeah, that, um, yeah, I think United had a really hard time in midfield because Marquinhos and Verratti were... Different level. I think, I think Marquinhos was probably my man of the match, actually. Yeah. I thought he was incredible. Someone who doesn't really get taken it's that 21. seriously. No, he's like 24, 25. Okay. I think. You know, I thought Ander Herrera, our guest on the show today... Absolutely. You, there was a bit in the second half where he, he was a bit like, this is a tough, a tough task. For sure. I thought, yeah, Pogba should have gone. I thought Kempembe should have gone. Right. I also think Young should have gone. Young should have got a straight red for that. that he's was, lucky. That was really naughty. Nani got a straight red for high foot in the, against Real Madrid in Alex Ferguson's last, Sir Alex Ferguson's last season. A high foot where he didn't see the man coming. Yeah, I remember that. Straight red. By that reckoning, I mean, Young shoved, Di Maria was going at almost full speed and he shoved him down that sort of like sort of that sort of ditch that goes yeah. off the pitch. I mean anyone who's been to Old Trafford close to the pitch will know how steep that bank is. Right. It's really, really steep. Down and, that bank and at the, the bottom the metal hoardings. And, yeah. and at the bottom it's brick. Yeah. So it's essentially like a brick wall, like a garden wall. So dangerous. At first it looked like Di Maria could have been quite seriously hurt, but he was fine. Um, Only because it didn't catch him quite badly. But it was the intent was there, I think. Yeah. I mean running down that with studs on as well. Yeah. Um what did you make of Di Maria? I thought Di Maria was superb both from set pieces, but also on the break in transition. Him and Mbappe very clearly targeted Young for his positioning and his sort of relative lack of speed. And it really paid off. Everything that really happened in open play came down the right-hand side. Mm. Luke Shaw got a fairly easy ride because he wasn't the side they picked off. But yeah, Demir was superb. Obviously, he was returning to Old Trafford after a pretty awful time there under Van Gaal. And he proved his point. I don't want to stir it up a little bit, but I couldn't figure out why he got booed was there because I, I knew he, he didn't he, I know he had the season he had there wasn't great and I know he left but was there anything else did he come out and say anything about United or no no it's just the sense that he was mailing it in and a lot of the reports came out after his departure from the club that he was never really invested I mean 
I think there was a sense in which he didn't want to leave Madrid, which mm. can't be blamed for. You know, it's pretty heartbreaking. He loved that club, you know, Champions League. Mm. You know, was a, in the final, he was a man of the match. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're shipped out to Madrid. You know, shipped out of Madrid to United. His personal circumstances were difficult. His house got robbed. It got burgled. Yeah, I remember that. I'm not sure of his family there at the time, but it's pretty traumatic. And there was also talk that players in the team were like, you know, he's not, not committed, doesn't have the courage. Mm. And actually, slightly unfair, because Di Maria began for... United in explosive fashion. He was, yeah, he was really good. He's got that amazing, like, kind of scoop. Chip a chip ball, on the run yeah. against Leicester. Yeah, yeah. it's an amazing chip. And as a player who is devastating, and, you know, if you look at, like, Di Maria for Argentina, strong argument that if Di Maria plays the World Cup final, Copa America finals, Messi has three trophies. There's a, I, think there's, um, I think there's a real thing about Di Maria that he's, uh, you know, he's not a number one guy. He's a two or a three guy. And that's not saying that he's not good enough to be a number one guy. I think it's more of a, personality thing and when he came to United he was a big money signing he was a you know he's a massive signing and it was very much like he's the the new kind of main man mm. there right I, mean, I think that's probably fair right I Pre- think it's absolutely fair um, and that can be quite intense for a lot of players you know? not everyone likes it exactly. yeah so I think you've seen that as uh, someone like PSG he's really turned it around and he's not the the main focus or even the second or potentially even the third main focus you know you've got Neymar and Mbappe Cavani from an attacking point of view, but also from a you know like a profile or marketing point of view, there are so many superstars in that team that it, I think he can kind of go under the, the radar a little bit. He doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be the you know leading the team talk and stuff like that. But he will always. That's the thing about he will always step up. Yeah, in a team where he feels valued, Di Maria is just an unbelievable weapon. His ability on the break, not only to begin moves but to end them, mm. he can initiate. Um, he can combine. And you see him against France, for example, the only time in the entire World Cup that France looked genuinely rattled, not even in the final, to be honest, even though Croatia were better for about an hour of that World Cup, if we're being honest. The only time they were genuinely rattled was when Di Maria decided to go into warp drive either side of half time. Mm-hmm. You know, from the moment he struck, I mean, Di Maria had a really quiet game against France in that, in that second round. Then he scores from distance. He's the only person that made Pavard look human yeah. in that tournament. Yeah. Really I wish, do you know what? I wish he'd taken a sip of that beer, though. That would have been incredible, really. What would he got the pinky out? Like? You know, it was so gangster. That would have been really funny. It was gangster. Uh, so, second leg, two 0 down, with Pogba gone. To be honest with Tough, you, right? We're toast. We're toast. I- I'm being honest with you. I'm not just saying that because I. It'll be negative, but. Do you know what though? I- it wouldn't surprise me again. I kind of, I-, I think I'm the fence sitter in this situation. But yeah. if United scored three Get at the Parc de Prince, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me. You know, and I think that if you want anyone who's going to be trying to instill that old school United that spirit, spirit yeah. then you've got the guy who scored arguably the most important goal in their history or yeah. one of did it very late and was around that team that was notorious for doing that you never know I mean I think that I like Tuchel your optimism is, no I'm, I mean I'm just you know I'm kind of I'm, I'm totally you know chickening out of making a call I suppose but I yeah. think that this PSG are a little different you know yeah. Tuchel is he's a different kind of coach and um, he's brutal. I think he's the perfect kind of profile of coach for that squad. And we'll... he's a millennial coach. Yeah, yeah, he gets yeah. like you know that. There's no, it's no coincidence that he fell out with the older guard, like the sort of Nuri Sahin and the sporting director, and the younger players really blossomed under him. Yeah. If you look how many young players really just came to the fore, and he really brought out, he got he got a tune out of Mkhitaryan, which even Klopp couldn't do. Yeah. You know that's interesting. So I think you're completely right. And. When I say United, I think we're not going to come through is because so much creatively goes through Pogba mm. and we're sending United to France without him. Uh, who knows which other injuries there'll be. 
who knows else will come back. You know, Cavani might be back by then. So it's just, I don't know, it, it's such an uphill battle. I, I just don't unfortunately see us overturning that deficit. Yeah. Should we get on to the Ander Herrera chat? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So we're very happy to just be bringing a segment from an interview that I conducted with Ander Herrera at Carrington. And Herrera is such an interesting character to me because I think he's been a vital part of United's transition mm-hmm. away from Sir Alex Ferguson. A player who actually, I think, would have got quite a few games under Sir Alex Ferguson if he'd been in his squad. I think, I, I think Fergie would have loved him. I think absolutely right. And, and what's interesting about Herrera is there's a real, not only a fierce tactical intelligence, but a real sense of what it is to be a Manchester United player, which is an elusive quality. Uh, we had a chat not only about you know, his sort of early career at Zaragoza briefly, but also about the art of being a midfielder. I found it really interesting. I was sat off the, to the side. You were indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. just uh, kind of, you know, gate crashing the party. And he was an interesting character, Eric, because he's got this incredible um, intensity, you know, when he sort of sits and answers questions, he's very focused. And you can see that actually this is a guy that's incredibly passionate. And he's a real, he's emerged really as a sort of ambassador. If you look at how many statements have been made by United players after Jose Mourinho's departure and Solskjaer's arrival, Herrera has been consistently someone who's been at the forefront and he's obviously been trusted to get out there and speak about it. But what's great about him is the way that he talks football, I think. He mm. always brings in examples of the players' movement on and off the ball. He's really fascinating about that and particularly about decision-making. Yeah. Should we get into it and then have a little bit of a chat about it after? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, welcome to the podcast. Ander Herrera. Ander Herrera. Okay, first question and the most important question. How often do you get back to watch Real Zaragoza? <laughs> it's my club, everyone knows. I've been always saying the same. Uh, I think in life you can, I have already said it, but in life you can change a lot of things. Uh, but you cannot change your the, the the club and the team that you support. It's my team. It's the the team that I have in my heart. Of course, I know where I'm playing now. I am playing for Manchester United. I'm playing for the probably the the biggest club in the world, and I am really really thankful to that, to the fans, to the club. I really like playing for this club. I enjoy my time here. But I cannot lie. My my the the, the, the team that I have in my heart is 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 yeah, the there, Of course, of course, I do. do. I've been I've been doing I've been going to La Romareda, the stadium, since I was probably three four years old. In the beginning, with my parents, after with with my friends, I have even traveled with with the fans to to watch some some away games. So before being a football player, I was a a crazy fan. <laughs> Well, um, well, the other big question is, again, about your region. It's uh, very important. It's about food. I now live in Germany, and there are things I can't get. There's food I can't get in Germany, like in England. What food, what dish do you most miss from, from back home? Oof, um, a lot of things. But uh, to be honest, I'm a, um, a food lover. I really like to, to try different things, different food from, from different countries, but uh, I think we have the same, uh, sorry, we have the best. Uh, I respect all the, the... If you have to pick the, one meal, like one... But meal. if I have to pick one, probably the, the, the you say shellfish? In yes. Yeah, the yeah. shellfish that we, we have in, in Spain is, is, is fantastic. But also the, the meat, also the, the tradition, the tradition 
in terms of food that we have in Spain. Everywhere you go, you can eat good. You don't need to, to find the, the perfect restaurant. Even if you go to a normal bar, you, you eat fantastic. So I miss the food, of, of course, but I adapt to England and I also like the, the English food. You mentioned when you lost um, with Bilbao to Atletico Madrid, the Europa League final, it was very disappointing. Yeah. How important was it for you to win this European uh, yeah, it was for Manchester United? How important was that? It was because I remember that time with Athletic Bilbao. We did an amazing competition. We beat Manchester United, we beat Schalke, we beat Sporting Lisbon. We were the better team of the competition by far. But in the final was like kids again against men. And Atletico de Madrid smashed us that, that day. Uh, it was a very tough day because all the probably you know how important or how how passionate are the fans in Bilbao, the special philosophy they have, uh, which makes me feel very proud to have represented that club because it's it's fantastic to be a Athletic Bilbao player. But that that was a very tough day. Uh, I remember the the city the days before, full of flags. All the balconies, you say balconies? Yeah, yeah. All the balconies with, with the flags, everyone very excited. The, 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 the day of the match, all the kids allowed to go to the school with the, with the shirt of the team. So was very, very disappointed. Um, but we gave everything as well. Um, so I can be only proud about what we did. But of course, I had a, um, I don't know how you say in English, but I had a... Um, the chip, not the chip on the shoulder or something? Yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I had yeah. it and I, I could take it out when, when I won it right. with, with Manchester United. That's why in the celebration, in the, I think I had an interview and I, I mentioned my, my teammates because that was a very tough night and we all have it in our hearts. Right. What for you is the most important thing as a midfielder? You're like you're like in the middle of the traffic. You know you're surrounded by everyone running around you. What what for you are the most important skills? Uh, the position? Not only in midfield. I think in every position on the pitch, the most difficult the most difficult quality is to make the right decision. Because you can be quick, you can be strong, you can jump incredibly, mm. you can have the best shot, and you can be able to score goals from 50 yards. But if you don't know when to shoot, when to run or when to jump, you're lost. So that's why we have the example of Xavi Hernandez, the Spanish midfielder, now is playing in Qatar and he has been one of the best players in the history. He was not tall, he was not quick. He didn't have an amazing shot. He was not very aggressive. He didn't... He was not the best defensively, but every time he was on the pitch, he was taking the right decision. What was he doing well? What was the thing that was... The position, for example, I guess. If he was playing against a very strong player, he knew how to went far from him to receive the ball and to, to give the right pass. Um, if he was playing against the quickest midfielder, maybe it was better to don't go to try to steal the ball from him and let let him to take a wrong decision. Mm. And that's what he used to do amazing. And I could give you more examples. I really like, Please, yeah. uh, for example, uh, um, Cesc Fabregas is one of the players that I think has that quality, to take the right decision in every moment. And the example of Xavi is, is the best. It's the playing the ball out. When the, Xavi would get the ball from far back and manage to play the ball. He's, yeah, he's yeah, the hardest pass yeah, in football. But, for, for example, Xavi had an amazing 
pass in between the lines. But he was not giving that pass always. Mm. Sometimes the team needs to rest, give him simple three, four passes, and then look for that difficult pass. And that's Xavi Hernandez. I remember some passes with Messi, two meters, two meters, and then the other team thinks, the other team think the game is slowing down, and then they give the, the right pass in between the lines to kill them. Football is about taking the right decision. That's why Juan Mata is still playing and playing fantastically. And I always say to him, he's not the quickest, he's not the strongest. He, he, hasn't, he doesn't have the best shot, but he takes the right decision every, always in, the, in every moment. Very special player, Mata, yeah. isn't he? He's like a kind of an eight, could play a six, could play a ten. Yeah. He is always in the right moment. Um, one of the qualities he has, and I realize watching some highlights, when you see one of us <coughs> shooting on goal, who is the one that is always ready to, for the rebound from the goalkeeper? Juan Mata. <laughs> when you see one of our fullbacks crossing the ball, who is always in the right, in the right position on the pitch, uh, on the, in, the, in the box? Juan Mata. When the team is struggling and, and we need an extra midfielder to come to play, who is there? Juan Mata. So that's He's why. Like a rebounder in basketball, always receiving. I don't understand too much about basketball. Yeah. Can I say something Go about Ander Herrera? As an Arsenal fan, he has wound me up quite a lot. Over the last few years, and honestly, being there that day when he when you were chatting to him and meeting him and listening to what he had to say, I found him so impressive, really, really impressive. Right, someone who I think is a, a kind of real example for a lot of young midfielders. I mean, actually, I would have loved to have, if we'd had the time, like really sat down with him and got into the nitty gritty of playing Even scenarios, certain yeah, games, just like you know. what what makes you know what makes you decide in this situation or this situation? I just found him super interesting. Yeah, what, actually, makes, what makes Modric so good, for example? Yeah. You know, those little tiny nuances. I know, yeah, man. I thought you did a good job on that. Oh, thanks. I will. Thank you for coming along. And uh, thanks for being a sounding board for some of the questions and the, the approach to take. Because yeah, no whenever you talk to footballers, um, it's very easy to forget their people. It's very easy to forget that footballers are a human. And I was just trying to keep the focus on what is it to be a footballer and a midfielder? In particular, because I think just a few days before we spoke, he'd been taken out of context by a different journalist and was quite upset about that. So it was really nice to sort of sit with him and and just be like, "Look, this is this is about football. This is about tactics." Yeah. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. And also, what was really great was uh, you mentioned it in your piece. But when we got there, that guy who was trying to get he had a delivery for Pogba. Yeah, and it took him ages. French guy. <laughs> there was so much delivery. intrigue. Yeah, I got some messages on Twitter going, "Oh, what did I?" <laughs> I think it was just what? trainers or shoes or something. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think. Yeah. Big thank you to Ben Miller. Yeah, for helping us um, to arrange that interview because you know Ben was just so helpful. And actually, shout out as well to Karen Shotbolt, Manchester United. Um, I know that often people don't shout out the press team, but. Karen was an absolute joy to work with and really enjoyed that. It was a lovely, it was a lovely day. Yeah, actually, we should, should we mention that we've actually sat down with Ben because Ben is uh, involved in Common Goal. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. And um, we had a chat with Ben about Common Goal, who... Um, Charitable movement, I suppose. Yeah, that yep. could, it was co-founded by Juan Mata about players donating um, 1% of their salary towards this collective fund that goes to really helping kind of football projects around the world and stuff. Yeah. So we've got um, a chat with Ben that we're going to broadcast on next week's episode. That's right. Yeah. Next Monday? Uh, yeah. 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 Really good projects. I think there's over 70 players now on board considering it's been going less than two years. I think Gender it's... split 50%, isn't it? Yeah. About yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really interesting project and, you know, we'll hear more from Ben on Monday. 
Before you go, because I'm going to call Michael, are you looking forward to this weekend? FA Cup weekend. Well, am I looking forward to this weekend? Uh... <laughs> Which Chelsea Manchester United on Monday evening. You'll be hearing from us again before we uh, know how that turns out. I'm looking forward to having a weekend off from Arsenal, actually. Really? Is yeah, that bad? Yeah, I could do with a weekend off. Is that bad? Uh, Arsenal have not been good to watch at the moment. We didn't really talk about this on Monday, but um, yeah, ahead of recording, well, we're recording ahead of Arsenal's Europa League game away at Barté. Yeah, Arsenal and a uh, tough watch at the moment. A tough, tough watch. But uh, yeah, so a nice weekend off from them. Sometimes it's nice. i to watch loads of basketball. That's how it felt for long periods of the Van Hal and Mourinho eras, to be honest. Mm. So I, I sympathise with you on that front. Before you go, quick shout out. Don't forget to check Moose's League of, Sunday League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which went up Thank on the you. site this week. It's, uh, I like that piece. That's, that was enough. a good one. I enjoyed it. Good vibes. I like the Bellerin shout. Haha, <laughs> listen, Bellerin's the dude. I mean, for those who haven't read the piece, it's uh, about if you had to pick uh, a team of world-class players to represent you on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, sorry, Sunday morning, Sunday league football, yeah. who would they be? So who are the hard men of, of world-class football? Don't forget you can respond, send in your requests or your, your shouts for that as well, who you'd have in your team, at Rabonamang on Twitter. Yeah, more than one. And um, another quick shout for my piece that went up, the uh, Batman The Force and El Clasico's New Age. That's brilliant. And that exploration you've done there of, the changing face of the Clasico because for so long the Clasico has been Messi versus Ronaldo and everything mm. else and it's been a sort of a clash of superpowers whereas they're both now in a form of transition moving away from Messi away from Ronaldo and the young guard are coming through De Jong versus Vinicius for the next few yeah, years but definitely. they're still it's like sort of X-Men first class now isn't it? Yeah and it's also just a little bit of um, you know not really appreciating an era that you might be living in in a sporting sense until it's, until it's gone you know exactly. people are too busy bickering over you know who's a fraud or who's not or whatever or who's better and, and it's just actually because it, it just started out as um it was just going to be a Copa del Rey roundup actually isn't it funny how the sort of the greats of football are receding slowly and the greats of tennis are receding like yeah. this historic era of tennis is parallel I think with the historic era in men's tennis sorry parallel with the historic era in um in men's football yeah and they're kind of sort of fading now it's funny that anyway funny how these things coincide we're but all fading. <laughs> we're all fading. And with that, with that, I will fade away from this podcast. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we're going to give Michael a chance. To... After which, after the break, I won't be here. Yeah, so bye, Musa. <laughs> right, before we go, Michael's here to talk about Spurs versus Dortmund. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, it's going to take me some time to come back down to earth. I <laughs> one one nil would have been good. I would have taken that, but three nil. That's uh, yeah, I didn't see that coming. No, I didn't. I mean, at the first half as well. I thought I actually tweeted that I thought that Dortmund were made to pay for really not capitalising on that first half where they were brilliant. Yeah, like I felt like um, I felt like Sancho was really growing into the game. Like mm. he started off with a couple of heavy touches, and I thought mm, maybe he's gonna struggle under the uh the, the pressure of the occasion or, or whatever but he he really started to exert himself and I thought oh Spurs need to do something here to to prevent this uh, from becoming a bigger problem but in the second half Spurs just came out and I think they they tweaked their system a little bit the yeah. Tongan was a lot more um a lot more advanced and yeah they managed to press a lot more effectively Harry Wintz got on the ball a lot more and yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say one of the most impressive things about it is that I've never seen Tottenham win that convincingly without Harry Kane. Yeah. 
And that's perhaps the one thing I'll take away from it. I mean, there's the performances of Winks, and I think one fight was was great. Um, Jan Vertonghen, of course, can't mention the game without him. He was the, by far the standout performer. But this is the kind of game that Spurs wouldn't have won three years ago. Yeah, I thought you could definitely tell that this was another step in their development, I think, in the Champions League. I think so, yeah. Mm. And, you know, that's why it was so important that Spurs went to Barcelona and got that result because even though the Europa League represents a more realistic route to silverware for Tottenham, being in the Champions League is going to continue that, that improvement and playing against teams like Dortmund and being able to cope with games like this. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, they 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 were absolutely superb, and I, yeah, I think you're right in saying that Dortmund missed an opportunity. They failed to capitalise, and they were missing a couple of players as well. You know, Royce being the the key one, and I don't think Goetze really is right for the kind of false nine position, and he got kind of swallowed up by Tottenham's back three, um, as good as Dortmund were in that first half. But yeah, I think it was um, it was a, a real kind of a marker as to how far Tottenham have come under Pochettino. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and I think that's the thing that Spurs have been so good at over the last few years is that each improvement in various areas has been incremental. You know, you haven't had a giant leap or yo-yoed in and out of the Champions League or yeah. had a disastrous season. It's been, you know, step by step by step. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche looking at statement wins, but mm. especially after that first half, I, if I was a Spurs fan, I would have been going into halftime a little bit relieved that you'd got out of that nil-nil, yeah. but also prepared for the worst, really. It was it was relief, and you're right. It was like, oh, can we... You know, at halftime, I was thinking... I was, I was convincing myself that nil-nil wasn't the worst result in the world. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that, okay, well, at least, you know, we can stop them from scoring an away goal. But, yeah, it turned out to be a completely different night. And I think it was Oliver Kay from The Times who... He tweeted, I think this was bang on, that this was a night for the unsung heroes at Tottenham, uh, the guys that don't always get the credit they deserve. So Sissoko being perhaps the the main one, but um, Winks, Vertonghen, you know, been so consistent for Tottenham for for six or seven years now. Davison Sanchez, to be honest, I don't think he actually had the greatest game, but he is, generally speaking, a, a very solid player for Spurs and one for it, who I think is getting better and better. And it was that kind of night where it wasn't really it wasn't really a headline a headline act, you know. Usually we're talking about a couple of goals from Harry Kane or an unbelievable strike from Son, and Son did play well. But yeah, it was those kind of players that you don't associate with the big moments that really put in a shift for Spurs. Yeah, I mean, even um, like, even Yoriente scored, you know. Yeah. And uh, well, that's, that's a bit harsh because he's you know he scored a couple, hasn't he? But I think coming on and yeah. scoring, and that was a, I think that was a really big goal that third one. The one thing you will probably bet on is that Dortmund yeah. will score in Dortmund and <laughs> yeah. I mean you saw what they did to Atleti in the group mm. stages you know they absolutely demolished them and going there 3-0 even even that isn't really mega safe is it but still no, it's a hell of a lot better than two yeah I think the tie is far from over for sure mm. and um, both sides should have players back for the second leg yeah I mean you look at that's what I think made it quite it was almost it leveled up you know Spurs were without Kane and Ali but you know, Dortmund didn't have Marco Royce, for example. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right that the third goal was absolutely huge. I think the first one was pivotal because it um, really swung the momentum in Spurs' way. And two, yeah, of course, that gave Tottenham a, a clear advantage. But three kind of makes it a, a different game. So going into the second leg, I think 
you know, Spurs will be relatively happy to sit back and under Pochettino, that's how Tottenham started out as a counter a counter attacking team, mm. and um, they're more than comfortable to just sit back and soak it up and, and score on the break. So I see, I see both teams scoring in the second leg really, um, but the pressure's on Dortmund now, and yeah, like it. It perhaps also talks a little bit about the difference in quality between the Bundesliga and the Premier League because, you know, you've got the Spurs who are third behind Liverpool and, Chelsea and uh, Man City, but Dortmund are, at times have threatened to run away with the Bundesliga. And yeah, for them definitely. to come to Spurs and be humbled almost is um, perhaps a sign of the difference in, in quality there. Yeah, I think one thing Jaden Sancho said after the game in his interview, he kept mentioning focus. And I think that after the last few games in the Bundesliga where, you know, they dropped points when they probably should have been two or three up at Frankfurt, yeah. dropped points on the weekend. So actually, I mean, from a Dortmund point of view, coming away from that 3-0 down, yeah. I think will maybe give them a little bit of a reality check. Because that is a young side. You know, it's some, it's some, it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know, Spurs maybe two, three years ago where mm -hmm. the core ingredients are there and it's maybe that them as a group haven't progressed deep into a competition like this before because there is, you look at the players who were there when they made the final, yeah. pretty much none of them are there. And I mean, Goethe didn't even play the final that year. Most yeah. of that back line's gone. Who... I think that's absolutely fair because, you know, if you look at this stage of the uh, competition last year and Spurs were beaten they were beaten by Juventus and it was really experience that got Juventus past Spurs that night. They just, you know, they're wily old campaigners and they knew how to grind out the the victory and make the most of the those those small moments. And I think we shouldn't forget that Dortmund are firstly a young team um, and their best players are all, well, clearly under 25, but mostly under 21 even. But also they've been going through a difficult spell at home as well. Like they've gone three games now, four games without a victory. Uh, in all competitions, two in the league, one in the German Cup and now one in the Champions League. So it's not their their finest moment. And it was a good time for Spurs to play them. And how they get out of this will be testament to whether or not they have what it takes to, to go all the way in the Bundesliga this year. The second leg falls in a really tricky run of fixtures for Spurs. They've got, the, they've got this weekend off and then they go to Burnley. Yeah. And then Chelsea at home. Arsenal away, uh, sorry, uh, no, Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, and then the second leg before going away to Southampton. Yeah. So that's a tough stretch. And if they can come through that with, you know, their yeah. league league position intact and then going through to the, the next stage of the Champions League, I think you're, I think that's a massive, massive boost for them. Yeah, well, Spurs are going to go away and do some warm weather training now for a little bit. Oh, they, nice. This was yeah, a rare luxury. It's um, closest we get to a winter break in England, but the the uh, the next game, as you say, is on Saturday week against Burnley, and then and then they get going again uh, more regularly after that. So yeah, it's an opportunity to a rare opportunity for for Tottenham to kind of take a breather because it has been an intense run of um, fixtures for them. Mm. And someone like Hyung Min Son will really appreciate that break as well because he's, as we know, been. Playing games, it seems two, three times a week for the last couple of months at least. So. Yeah, and the trip to the for the Asian Cup as well was it, crazy because yeah. he left it really last minute to go, and then he came back and started playing straight away. Yeah, I mean, I thought when he came back that it would be um, they would give him a week off just to recharge his batteries. Yeah. But you know, Harry Kane was out at that time, and obviously there was no such luxury. So he's come straight back into it, and you know, he he has now scored nine goals in eleven games against Dortmund. He loves playing against them. 
Um, and this is a record that stretches back to his time in Leverkusen and before that Hamburg as well. Um, so yeah, there's something about Dortmund that he loves. Mm, he's so good, man. He's so good. Like <laughs> I really like. Like I hate. I hate. I hate watching him as an opposition fan because he is one of those players. that's like, oh man, I wish we had him. You know? Yeah, but then I think there's going to be. He, you know, it's been mentioned now a few times that he'd be up. He's going to be up there for for player of the year. And I'm not a massive fan of individual awards for team sports. I don't think it's uh, it should be read into too much. But Youngman's son up there with with Firmino. I think. Um, but I think it was Musa actually that mentioned. Um, Bernardo Silva the other day as well and he should definitely be on the shortlist yeah definitely did you catch any of uh, Ajax against Real Madrid or were you fully in Spurs I, mode I was I was in Spurs mode or <laughs> I, did, I, I heard that VAR played a part and then Ajax equalised right? yeah and then Asensio scored with a few minutes to go so it's heartbreak okay. heartbreak for Ajax well I had Ajax down to um to win this actually over the two legs and maybe a, you know I should probably catch up with the highlights with that later but I I think Ajax have a great chance. Yeah, definitely. I think we should. Uh, I think we should have a Rabona work trip for the second leg. Let's see. Do our own warm let's, weather trading. Let's, let's speak to the accountant. Let's speak to Musa. <laughs> <laughs> right, man. Uh, we're going to leave it. We're going to wrap up. So, um, yeah, get some sleep. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> right. That's about all we've got time for on this bonus episode of the Rabona podcast. Thanks to everyone who tuned in. If you are an iTunes or Apple podcast subscriber, don't forget, please give us a rating and a review, preferably five stars. It helps us grow the podcast. Uh, Some stuff to look out for. We're going to be back on Monday for another podcast, but make sure you go to at Rabonamag on Twitter. Friday morning, we're going to be posting the first of a new series that we're going to call Rabona Selects, which is um, some highlights of some football players with uh, carefully selected music. Friday morning, that should go up. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Take it easy. Bye-bye.